I'm getting removed from the Trump event. Why do I have to leave, sir? Why are you removing me? Can you give me a reason why? I'm like the biggest Trump guy here. I was the deputy director of the campaign. This is how they treat loyalty in Trump world. Yep. Correct. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. Check. That is exactly how they treat loyalty in Trump world. When will these people learn? Ow! Wow! After everything I've done for it, how is this hot stove treating my hand this way? <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Yep. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Sounds about right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Way down in New Orleans on WHIV, way up in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, no Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Says me, where we are, by the way, this week, celebrating a full 20 years of blogging, broadcasting, journalism, troublemaking, and muckraking. And it feels like it's been 20 years. <laughs> uh, at least 20 years. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to have all of you here today. That was, of course, the delightful Desi Doyen, who is always by my side. Yep. How are you, Desiree? Doing okay. And for those of you, by the way, who have followed us for any part, really, of those 20 years, you likely know uh, that both at the blog and on this program, when it comes to election years like this one, well, we tend to spend our time not so much on the horse race, but yes, on the track conditions on which those horses are running, since a good horse... On a muddy track, as anyone who plays the ponies will tell you, can spell trouble for even the odds-on favorite steed in any race. So, in the uh, context of elections, that means the conditions of our voting and our tabulation systems and access to the polling place and the election system itself. And the U.S. in particular, has a, has a very, very muddy system, even in the best of years. Fragmented, disjointed voting systems and election laws, not to mention the ridiculous electoral college and even the primary and the caucus system itself. 
And that primary and caucus system this year, as it turns out, is even muddier than it is on most years when it was already enough of a mess that most Americans don't even bother to participate in that portion of the uh, the election, the, the primaries and the caucuses. But this year, as noted, it is even worse than usual. So I want to try to sort of clean up a few things on this muddy track and help you make sense of what is happening and what will be happening in uh, in that regard to the primaries over the next few weeks. We got some help uh, today from the New York Times, which notes that experts are actually kind of worried this year that the confusing system uh, getting confusinger by the day will not only prevent voters from participating this year, but that young voters in particular will be affected because voting habits, the experts say, develop early. So, you know, if you vote in the November general election this year, well, you will probably vote in general elections in the future. That's a good thing. But if you skip a primary or a caucus, well, you will get into the habit of skipping those types of elections in the future. And as the Times reports today, democracy is messy, according to Maggie Astor at the Times, but uh, usually not this messy, she writes. Take, for example, New Hampshire, where President Biden boycotted the primary election last Tuesday after the state jumped the line in the Democratic Party's new schedule, which this year begins in South Carolina. But uh, New Hampshire wanted to keep its first-in-the-nation primary status anyway because in New Hampshire it's actually part of their constitution that they must hold primary elections. They really want to be the first-in-the-nation. Hold <laughs> primary elections for both major parties at least one week before any other state in the nation does. So uh, that's what they did. And because it would have been uh, embarrassing if Mr. Biden had lost there, according to The Times, a group of supporters in the state took to telling voters to write in Joe Biden's name on the Democratic primary ballot. They did, and he won on the Democratic side. Donald Trump won on the Republican side. He won just over 50 percent of the Republican votes with South Carolina's Nikki Haley winning most of the rest and uh, vowing to press on in the primaries to her home state of South Carolina. Next on the primary calendar is South Carolina, but in that state, Republicans and Democrats are holding their primaries on two different dates. <laughs> Not confusing for voters at all. So one of them is going to be at the beginning of February. The other will be at the end of February. On February 3, that's actually this coming Saturday, only Democrats will be voting. It'll be a Democratic primary. If you are a Republican in South Carolina, you will not vote until February 24. That is after fellow party members in Nevada have their stay. So Nevada have their say. Nevada is coming in between the Democratic primary in uh, South Carolina and the Republican primary okay. in Wait. South Carolina. So South Carolina, the Democrats yeah. have their primary first, then Nevada goes, and then in South Carolina, Republicans have their primary. Yeah, kind of. Kind of <laughs> like that. That's so confusing. It is confusing. Now, about Nevada, if you think that that's confusing so far, just wait. As the Times reports, if you support Nikki Haley, you can vote for her 
in the state's primary in Nevada on February 6th. That is next Tuesday. However, your vote will not count toward the Republican nomination if you vote in the primary. In fact, no delegates will be awarded via the state's primary this year, which the Times reports is tied to the party's caucuses instead the caucuses will be just two days later, on Thursday, February 8th in Nevada. And Haley will not be a part of the caucus process. So if you support former President Donald Trump, you can vote for him in the caucuses, but not in the primary. The primary, again, this is only in Nevada. The primary, which is run by the state of Nevada, will be conducted by mail while the caucuses will be done in person. That's because the Nevada Republican Party opposed conducting the primary by mail as the state wanted, and therefore it scheduled the caucuses instead. Got it? As voters enter an election year in which many feel that democracy itself is on the ballot, they face a bewildering set of dates and procedures to choose their presidential nominees. And that's without even getting into the longtime snag of some states scheduling separate primaries for president and other offices, as well as special elections, all of which add up to some voters having as many as five election days this year. And all, I would add, uh, during an election year in which most believe that the two presidential candidates are already chosen as a foregone conclusion. Virginia Case Solomon, the chief executive of the League of Women Voters, which runs the uh, voter information website vote411.org, said, quote, it's all very confusing for us, even as people who are elections people. It also has the potential to fuel distrust in elections, notes the Times, and in Nevada, it apparently is already doing so. The process there splintered when the Nevada Republican Party decided to hold its own caucuses on a different night with an ID requirement but no mail-in or early voting and a stipulation that ballots be counted by hand. The party will award delegates to the Republican National Convention based solely on the caucus results, and it barred any candidate who put their name on the primary ballot from participating in the caucuses. Therefore, voters will have uh, Trump as an option in the caucus in Nevada, but not in the primary. And they will have Haley as an option in the primary, but not in the caucuses. And anybody who votes for Haley in the primary, she gets no delegates she for that. She gets nothing. Wow. She gets nothing. They'll call it a beauty contest, huh. as they do. Uh, no matter how much support Haley receives in that primary, she will not be allocated any delegates to the convention. And Trump supporters are receiving primary ballots in the mail in the meantime, but without his name on them. Which, even though they know better, and even though uh, Trump will receive all of Nevada's Republican delegates in the, uh, in the GOP race for the nomination... Trump supporters nonetheless are already citing Nevada as an example of a rigged election. They did this, and yet they're calling it rigged. And it is rigged in favor of Donald Trump, who will get all of the delegates. For weeks, the party has been fielding questions on social media from voters who are confused by Trump's absence, or worse, they believe that uh, falsely, 
that this shows that the election is rigged because he's not showing up on their primary ballots that they're receiving in their mailbox at home. Again, even though this is what the state Republican Party chose to do. Last week, for example, Cash Patel, a former uh, so-called counterterrorism advisor in the uh, Trump administration, he has uh, been uh, cited as Trump's likely CIA director or their director of Homeland Security or something. I can't remember if Trump wins this fall. Uh, Cash Patel held up a Nevada primary ballot during a video interview with the right wing uh, podcaster Benny Johnson and declared, quote, they're doing another election rig job. Complaining that Trump's name wasn't on the ballot, ignoring the fact that Trump himself had chosen not to put it there. Well, how about here in my home state of Nevada? They're doing another election rig job. This is my primary ballot for the state of Nevada. It says vote on February 6th for your candidate for Republican nominee. Look whose name's not on there. Donald Trump. Wow. What a scam. Busted, huh? (laughs) Donald Trump's not on the ballot because Donald Trump chose not to be on the ballot. I mean, he's just Cash Patel is just straight up lying about it. David Daymore, a professor of political science at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, said he expected, quote, not a whole lot of participation at all in the caucuses, which totally defeats the purpose of, A, having a caucus for party building, and B, being an early state in the process. But lack of participating in the caucuses and uh, only one actual candidate who can win all of the state's GOP delegates... Well, that certainly helps Donald Trump and what the Republican Party is hoping for this year. Confusion, the ability to claim everything was rigged. That's true whether they are willing to say it out loud or not. Last week, you may have heard, the day after the New Hampshire primary, the National Republican Party floated the idea of literally handing Donald Trump the nomination this year. Voters be damned. The draft resolution read, quote, resolved that the Republican National Committee hereby declares President Trump as our presumptive 2024 nominee for the office of president of the United States. And from this moment forward, moves into full general election mode, welcoming supporters of all candidates as valued members of Team Trump 2024. That was the day after the New Hampshire primary. It was put forward by RNC committee man and longtime top Donald Trump supporter and advisor David Bossie, who, by the way, as Axios reported back in 2019, had been accused by the Internal Revenue uh, Service of defrauding political donors by funneling their donations to himself through consultants and book sales. It sounds like Team Trump. Yep. Bossy, as you will also not be shocked to learn, he had headed up the, uh, maybe still does, headed up the right-wing Citizens United group, the organization. Not the infamous 2010 Citizens United Supreme Court decision, but yes, they were the, uh, the, the party in that decision. That decision which opened the floodgates to corporate money in electoral politics and apparently in the pocket of David Bossy. So Bossy is the one who put forward that resolution the day after the New Hampshire primary last week, which followed about a week after the Iowa caucuses, which were also won by Trump. Uh, And again, he received just barely more than uh, half of the Republican voters there. 
the same as he did in New Hampshire. In both states, he received a uh, a proportional amount of Republican delegates towards the uh, eventual nomination, which requires 1,250 uh, 1,215 delegates to win. So as of today, after the Iowa caucuses, after the New Hampshire primary, out of the 1,215 delegates needed to win the nomination, Donald Trump has won 32 of them. That's it. Nikki Haley has just over half that amount with 17. That's it. And yet, Bossy is putting forward this resolution to crown Trump the winner, And he did so, apparently, with the support of Donald Trump. Only thereafter to be thrown under the bus by Donald Trump just two days later. So you heard that guy being tossed out, that deputy campaign manager in uh, in New Hampshire at the top of the show being tossed out because he had posted a picture of himself with uh, Trump's attorney, uh, Elena Haba at this New Hampshire uh, victory party event, and they were, at the time, pretending that Alina Haba was homesick with, with potential COVID. Remember, they had a Yeah, and she said she couldn't stop be the trial. at the trial because she might be sick. That was the trial, by the way, uh, the E. Jean Carroll trial. And while they ended up throwing him out, apparently because he posted a picture of himself with Haba. Busting her totally. And that guy said, can you believe it? Can you believe this is how they treat uh, Trump supporters who have been with him the whole time. I'm getting removed from the Trump event. Why do I have to leave, sir? Why are you removing me? Can you give me a reason why? Did Trevor tell you to remove me? I saw Trevor and the guy just pointed like him to me and said, I have to leave. I'm like the biggest Trump guy here. I was the deputy director of the campaign. This is how they treat loyalty in Trump world. Yes, that's exactly how they treat loyalty in Trump world. Just ask Trevor. Anyway, uh, so uh, Trump did apparently the same thing to Bossy. Bossy puts forward this resolution to crown Trump the winner, and then Trump throws him under the bus. Quote, while I greatly appreciate the Republican National Committee wanting to make me their, all caps, presumptive nominee, and while they have far more votes than necessary to do it, I feel for the sake of, all caps, party unity, (laughs) that they should not go forward with this plan, but that I should do it the old-fashioned way and finish the process off, all caps, at the ballot box. That was Trump uh, on his uh, social media declaring, don't do the thing that I set up this guy bossy to do, because that's how Donald Trump rewards loyalty of longtime supporters like David Bossy and the RNC itself, whose chair, Rana Romney McDaniel had told Fox News just after New Hampshire, quote, we need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is Donald Trump. So, wait, who who is rigging this election again? Could you imagine if uh, the chair of uh, of the Democratic National Committee had declared after the first two uh, uh, nominating events that we're going with uh, Hillary Clinton? Can you imagine how uh, Donald Trump would be screaming and yelling how the Democrats have rigged the election? Nonetheless, after the uh, pushback from the former 
President Bossy's uh, RNC draft resolution declaring him the winner was officially withdrawn. So why did Trump push for his own coronation in the first place before then just days later calling for the old-fashioned way at the ballot box? Well, here's my theory. The minute that I heard that they were pushing for this to essentially call off the primary contest, I realized Donald Trump was going to have a very big problem with that at the U.S. Supreme Court, where uh, next Thursday, I believe it is, February 8, the very same day, by the way, as the Nevada Republican Caucus that only he is in, but not Nikki Haley, since she's disqualified because she chose to participate in the state's official primary. On February 8, Donald Trump's attorneys will be at the U.S. Supreme Court arguing that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution should simply be ignored. That, of course, is the section known as the Insurrectionist Disqualification Clause, the one that resulted in the Colorado State Supreme Court a few weeks back barring Donald Trump from the ballot this year. I believe both the primary ballot in Colorado and the general election for having engaged in an insurrection against the U.S. government on January 6, 2021. The argument that uh, Team Trump has been making against that decision by the Colorado Supreme Court um, at least the argument that he's, they're sort of making publicly, is that it would be an outrage. An outrage to voters and to democracy itself to allow a court in Colorado or a secretary of state in Maine or anywhere else to decide who voters get to vote for. The voters should decide that. The voters should decide these things for themselves. Of course, if the RNC had adopted a resolution calling to end the ability for voters to choose at the ballot box who would be their Republican nominee for president this year, well, that would not be a very good look next week at the U.S. Supreme Court, would it? When arguing that voters should decide Democratic elections. You kind of can't have it both ways. Apparently, they didn't figure that out before they leaked this draft to... Uh, crown uh, Donald Trump as the nominee. And on that score, on the 14.3 score, the uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Brad Blog's Ernie Canning, legal analyst at the 20-year-old bradblog.com, uh, he wrote recently about how the Supreme Court, if they actually followed the text and the original meaning of the uh, of Section 3 of the Constitution's 14th Amendment, well, if they actually did that, that could, in fact, end Donald Trump's presidential campaign. That argument, uh, well, Ernie Canning appears to be in good company today. As reported by The Hill, retired federal judge J. Michael Luttig filed an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday, arguing that, yes, the former president, Donald Trump, is, in fact, disqualified to run for public office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, Ludwig uh, was a longtime, very well-respected, very conservative jurist on the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan. He was uh, considered... Uh, several times, I believe, for a seat on the U.S. Supreme Court itself. 
So in his friend of the court brief filed on Monday, Ludig argues that the Supreme Court justices should take a, quote, textualist approach to interpreting the Constitution. Now, for the past several decades, so-called conservatives on the high court, beginning with Antonin Scalia, I believe, have, have made the case for so-called textualism, the idea that the Constitution must be interpreted by its simple text, nothing more, nothing less, that nothing else should be read into it, essentially, that the simple text of the actual document is ultimately all that matters. Don't layer anything onto it. Don't try to, you know, figure out uh, what, what they really meant. Simple textualism, the text of the, Supreme, of the uh, uh, U.S. Constitution. That and originalism, another idea, uh, should be the only thing that matters. What did the actual text, the words, what did they mean at the time that the founders adopted them? What was the common parlance of the words at the time, and what were the founders trying to do? Well, with the 14th Amendment, it was adopted after the Civil War, and Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, they were trying to keep people who had uh, engaged in insurrection against the government, in that case by launching a civil war, from being able to hold public office. And so that is how Ludig is arguing that the Supreme Court now should determine uh, whether or not the founders of the 14th Amendment actually meant it when they wrote that those who had taken an oath to support the Constitution may not then hold office if they, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or gave aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Ludig writes, quote, the textualists touchstone is to give every constitutional provision its, quote, fair meaning. A narrow construction to promote judicial restraint, in other words, to block the Colorado Supreme Court or any court from disqualifying a candidate, Ludig says that is just as bad as an unreasonably enlarged construction. He goes on to quote from the late conservative textualist icon, Justice Antonin Scalia, to say that uh, it is forbidden to narrowly construe a constitutional provision, quote, as if it were subversive of the great interests of society. Every provision of the Constitution is part of the supreme law of the land, he continued, not the inferior law of the land. And that, I believe, is a reference to the notion that, uh, as you may have uh, heard from many on the right and in the media that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is somehow it's an obscure provision of the Constitution. Therefore, it can simply be ignored because, you know, nobody really thinks about it. It's it's so obscure. Do we really have to follow it? Well, yeah, if you believe in uh, following the Constitution, then, yeah, you have to follow all of the provisions of the Constitution and not ignore the ones that you don't like simply because they're, they're not used very often. By the way, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is not used very often because we do not usually have candidates who have engaged in insurrection against the government running for office, much less the highest office in the land. The uh, friend of the court brief from Ludwig, which included other prominent names, such as conservative lawyer George Conway, that would be the husband or the uh, former former husband, former. I think, of uh, 
top uh, Trump White House advisor and and uh, former campaign manager Kellyanne Conway, George Conway joined this brief. Uh, it uh, seeks to refute several key arguments from uh, from Trump and his allies. Ludig has been amongst the most high-profile promoters of the case to bar Trump under the 14th Amendment, as Colorado and Maine have already moved to do. Having, quote, incited and therefore engaged in an armed insurrection against the Constitution, said Ludig, Trump, quote, disqualified himself under Section 3. They note, uh, quote, it would violate the rule of law and textualism for this court to create an off-ramp to avoid adjudicating whether Trump is disqualified. And they write that, quote, the terms of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment disqualify Mr. Trump. While uh, critics sometimes note that the 14th Amendment was ratified after the Civil War, uh, Ludig dismissed the argument that the amendment no longer applies today and is irrelevant to Trump's role in the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Quote, the January 6, 2021 insurrection sought to prevent the vesting of the authority and functions of the presidency in the newly elected president. The Civil War generation certainly understood that the threat and use of force to prevent a newly elected president from exercising executive power is an insurrection. Indeed, he writes, the activities of federal officials to prevent Lincoln's inauguration were one basis for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. As on January 6, 2021, the December 20, 1860 insurrection in South Carolina when they were the first to secede from the Union, was against the, former, uh, the, the forthcoming transfer of executive power to a newly elected president. Ludig said that while, of course, the cause of secessionists was uniquely odious to protect slavery, the 2021 insurrection in a geographical sense was, quote, broader than the South Carolina insurrection that triggered the Civil War. Mr. Trump tried to prevent the newly elected President Biden from governing anywhere in the United States. The South Carolina secession prevented the newly elected President Lincoln from governing only in that state. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he writes, the threat or use of armed force to prevent a newly elected president from exercising executive power, whether on December 20, 1860 or January 6, 2021, is an insurrection against the Constitution. This is from Michael Ludig, again, one of the most uh, far-right conservative uh, judges on the court in uh, over the past uh, several decades. He's now retired. Ludig also addressed the argument that barring Trump from the ballot would be anti Democratic, small d, democratic. That's the argument that, oh, voters should be able to vote whoever they want. Never mind that Constitution. He said there were other restrictions on uh, who can run for office in the Constitution. For example, you have to be of a certain age. You have to have meet certain citizenship requirements. And he notes that the fact that the uh, popular vote, in fact, in the country, has frequently favored the losing candidate. 
see Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, John Kerry, etc. And that shows that the American people do not have an absolute power to select their leader. It should be left up to the American people, they love to argue. In fact, it's not really up to the American people. It's up to the Electoral College. The uh, American people can choose a popular vote winner, as they did with Hillary Clinton, and the other candidate ends up becoming the president anyway. So, so much for that, you know, let the voters vote. Quote, Section 3 of uh, Section three and these other provisions are not improperly anti-democratic, let it continued, but rather they set forth foundational rules of the republic adopted by the people through ratification. Not much would remain of our Constitution if this court narrowly enforced the Constitution's provisions when they potentially frustrate large numbers of voters. In other words, just because large numbers of voters may not like it doesn't mean you can ignore it. He cites the Electoral College, separation of powers, bicameralism, that's two chambers of Congress, six-year rotating terms for senators, judicial review, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and the many amendments protecting criminal defendants and much more often lead to binding results that are contrary to the majority preferences of voters in many states and nationwide. Good point. As I have noted as well, if the justices on the court, if they actually interpret the Constitution under the strict textualism and originalism that Ludwig is citing here, and that they claim to believe in, uh, if, if that's what they do, if they want to avoid that, well, they're going to have to twist themselves into pretzels in order to come up with an, an excuse, some excuse to argue that essentially the Constitution doesn't mean what it says. The Constitution is somehow unconstitutional. And of course, I would hardly put that past them. But if they do what is right, and never mind if I think it's a good idea or not politically, because frankly, I think that Nikki Haley would be more difficult for Joe Biden to beat than Donald Trump. But if they do what is right and they follow the text of the Constitution, in fact, they'll be doing themselves a favor as well, because Donald Trump has made their lives a living hell just like everyone else's in this country. And unlike everyone else, justices on the Supreme Court, they've already got a lifetime guarantee of a job on the highest court in the land. So I would argue that their lives will be better if they allow Trump to be disqualified under 14.3, whether the voters should have the final say or not. As Luttig et al. notes, uh, they often don't have the final say, even when there isn't an insurrection running for the highest office in the land. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we are back with, uh, with more uh, muddy track conditions. We ought to just call it the Bradcast Crime and Accountability Show at this point. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's more straight ahead. Also, Desi Doyen with our latest Green News report. Yep. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, it's Brad. Well, we are here in another critical presidential election year. We cover elections like no other outlet in the nation. This election year will be a big one like none other. It could even be the last one, depending on how it goes. 
Please help the Bradcast continue in this critical election year. Support our work right now with a generous donation via bradblog.com slash donate. We couldn't do any of this without you. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. It's why they call me. Back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. It has been a very bad week for uh, a week or so, I guess, at this point for uh, Team Trump and his entire bad company. Beginning with uh, the uh, $83.3 million verdict against Donald Trump in uh, E. Jean Carroll's rape and defamation case against him last week. And the ruling that is likely to come any moment at this point, I, I think, from New York State Judge Arthur N. Goron in the state's $370 million fraud suit against Donald Trump, his companies, and his top executives, including his two eldest sons, Don Jr. and Eric. Hi, boys. I think that one could really leave a mark, uh, to be honest. I, 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 the $83.3 million is, is bad enough, but something like $300 million, $370 million, and potentially barring Donald Trump from doing business in New York, in the real estate market in New York for life? Yeah, that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, it's going to be a big deal. But uh, but don't forget the, the the trail of the smaller chumps and suckers on the Team Trump train who are finally facing their own accountability as well. You know, uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, is struggling to come up with what about a hundred and what was it? hundred and sixty something million dollars against Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who he defamed, claiming that they had stolen the election in Georgia. Pete Navarro. Uh, last week, the top advisor to Trump, who was sentenced to four months in prison. Well, don't forget about Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon had a very bad week last week, writes Walter uh, Einenkel over at Daily Coast, and he explains why is it about, why it's about to get way worse. A recent filing by Bannon's attorneys suggests that the former top advisor to Donald Trump may have shot himself in the foot when he decided to not pay the nearly half a million dollars that he apparently owes his previous lawyer, Robert Costello, for services rendered. The law firm where Costello was a partner sued Bannon in early 2023, winning a judgment against him in July of last year. According to the uh, Daily Beast, Bannon's lawyers filed a motion on January 11 this year to block Costello's firm from pursuing post-judgment discovery from Mr. Bannon. In other words, finding out how much money he's got. They argued that the request for banking statements and other information that the law firm had asked for, quote, poses a significant risk of compromising Mr. Bannon's Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Wait, what? So finding out how much he has in the bank could violate Pro his Fifth Amendment could, right against self-incrimination? Could prove that he broke the law. Dang. Yes. That's if you look audacious. at my bank statements, you'll see what a criminal I am. That's audacious. 
At issue seems to be the fact that while Bannon is facing an indictment in New York City, which alleges that he defrauded donors to the We Build the Wall fundraising campaign, that was a private scheme, actually a private scam, to raise money to build portions of a border wall on private land down in Texas, uh, these post-judgment discovery requests might in fact force Bannon to admit, as Einan Gold describes it, a teensy-weensy bit of fraud. When Bannon and his crew were originally arrested and federally charged with conspiracy to commit fraud and money laundering, it was at the federal level over this We Build the Wall thing. He got a lucky break because Donald Trump was still in office at the time and pardoned him. But by most reports, there was more than enough evidence that money raised by the We Build the Wall scam was going to anything but building a wall. Despite the promise from the group that they wouldn't keep one cent of the donor's money, it would all go to construction of the wall. In fact, they pocketed millions of dollars for themselves. It uh, came as no surprise then when Brian Colfodge, the uh, fundraiser's co-founder, pled guilty to his role in siphoning off money from the We Build the Wall campaign, putting it into his pocket. Trump did not pardon him. He only pardoned his pal Bannon. Last April, AP detailed the allegations. Uh, prosecutors said the scheme was hatched by Colfodge, who served as the public face of the effort as it raised more than $25 million from donors across the country. That was money raised, by the way, from Trump supporters who wanted to see a, a border wall built across the southern border. $25 million they raised. And at the time, Colfage had repeatedly assured the public he would, quote, not take a penny from the campaign. Well, he took a lot of pennies from the campaign. As money poured into the cause, Colfage and his partner turned to uh, Steve Bannon and some other guy for help to create a nonprofit organization called We Build the Wall, Inc. The four defendants then took steps to funnel the money to themselves for personal gain, according to prosecutors. After Bannon's pardon, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and New York Attorney General Letitia James, they announced new state charges against Bannon and We Build the Wall, Inc., back in September of 22 for essentially the same thing that he was pardoned for at the federal level. Bannon's trial in that case has been set for May 28 of this year. Yes, it is going to be a very busy year in court for Team Trump. And I guess for us. <laughs> but a couple of months uh, after those charges, Bannon's prospects apparently took a turn for the worst. He said he needed a new law team. He got rid of Costello. He cited irreconcilable differences and a communication breakdown. Two months later, Bannon's billionaire uh, Chinese nationalist buddy, uh, Guo Wanggui, however you say his name, he was then arrested. He was a guy who was giving Bannon all kinds of money, but he was arrested and indicted by federal agents for his own alleged fraud scheme involving his social media platform that is called Getter. That has final uh, Getter has financial ties with Bannon and his podcast, Bannon's podcast. In its recent filing, the law firm where Costello is a partner has reportedly served restraining notices to entities like Getter and Bannon's War Room LLC. They produce his podcast. According to 
New York-based uh, debt collection attorney Jocelyn Nager, a restraining notice is a legal document served by a collection attorney or creditor that requires the recipient of the subpoena to hold any monies or other specific types of assets that belong to the judgment debtor. So it's been determined that Bannon owes this money to Costello and his law firm. And uh, now these uh, legal documents mean that the money has to be held by the bank. Bannon can't get it. Judgment creditors can serve restraining notices on financial institutions like a bank. The bank searches its database, and if they locate an account or a safe deposit bank uh, box, absent an exemption, the bank must restrain the asset for up to one year. So that means... Steve Bannon is going to have a very difficult time uh, getting access to money, his own money this hmm. year. Wow. Earlier this week, and, and if and if uh, they turn over the bank turns over documents, Bannon says it's going to uh, incriminate him in some fraud or another. Earlier this week, Manhattan prosecutors mocked Bannon's attempt to dismiss his fraud case as quote, bearing little resemblance to reality, unquote. Well, that doesn't sound surprising at this point, does it? They wrote, quote, people's presentation in the matter include, uh, included ample evidence that was more than sufficient to support the grand jury's decision to vote the charges laid out in the indictment. All of that, of course, as Bannon's appeal moves forward following uh, his, in a completely different case. That would be his conviction at the federal level for contempt of Congress for refusing to answer subpoenas by the U.S. House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. He's already been sentenced to four months. He is appealing that. Uh, and that is the same four months that Trump advisor Pete Navarro was similarly found guilty and sentenced to just last week. And by the way, for the record, Robert Costello, the attorney, was also the attorney for Rudy Giuliani for a time as well. Costello, uh, as I recall, is suing Rudy for more than a million dollars that Rudy owes Costello as well. And I think the accountability uh, for the Team Trump train, I believe it is just getting started this year. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Well, an interesting portion of the of Bannon declaring that, oh, you can't look at my bank records because yep. it might incriminate me and, and yep. all that. It makes me wonder which fraud would be exposed. I mean, are we talking about the we build the wall fraud? Or are we talking about some other well, who fraud? Who knows? Take your pick. So many. Throw a stick and you are likely to hit some fraud by Steve Bannon or the rest of the team Trumpers. Brother, good luck keeping up. All right, quick break. And Desi is up next with our latest Green News report, although we've had some breaking news. I'm going to check during the, uh, the break here. We'll be back with that and Desi and the GNR right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Huh. Unbelievable. 
maybe it is believable. I don't know. Uh, boy, so you thought the news was bad for Elon Musk when he was uh, forced to buy Twitter for, what was it, $43 billion after he made a snarky comment one night on Twitter while he was baked? about buying Twitter, and then he was forced to actually do it. Well, uh, and now uh, the Twitter is worth about a quarter of that amount. You thought things were bad for Musk then. Well, here's some more very bad news for the right-wing owner of Tesla. A judge has just ruled that Elon Musk must give up a compensation package awarded by Tesla's board of directors that is potentially worth more than $55 billion. Hmm. The ruling in a Delaware court comes five years after a shareholder lawsuit targeted Tesla CEO Musk and the directors. They were accused of breaching their duties to the electric vehicle and solar panel manufacturer, resulting in a waste of corporate assets and unjust enrichment for Musk, according to AP. Plaintiff's lawyers argued that the pay package was dictated by Musk himself and was the product of sham negotiations with the directors who were not independent of him. Defense attorneys said the uh, pay plan was fairly negotiated by a committee of independent directors. It contained lofty performance milestones and was blessed by a shareholder vote that was not even required. Well, apparently the judge feels otherwise. And Elon Musk may just have lost about $55 billion. Sad. Although the shareholders have a point, money that goes to Elon Musk does not go to shareholders. Ah, uh, poor Elon. He was, you know, <laughs> he was once the richest man on earth not long ago. Really, I think just about a year ago. This morning, when we all woke up, I believe he was still the second richest man on earth. Tonight, however... Womp womp. Uh, you know what? Maybe he could make some money from the uh, $8 a month that he's charging suckers over on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry, on X for the right to uh, to post there, which is otherwise, by the way, still actually free. But don't let that keep you from forking over $8 a month to this guy. He apparently needs it. He just lost $55 billion in court today. Sad. Sad indeed. All right. In much cheerier news, <laughs> I don't I don't know, but uh, let's get to it. Our latest green news report. We are today the largest exporter of LNG in the world. At some point, you have to stop and say, does the market still need significantly more that will come post 2030? Biden pauses approvals of new liquefied natural gas export terminals, citing climate risk. Canada's tar sands are a larger source of air pollution than previously thought. Plus... With every fraction of a degree of warming caused by the burning of fossil fuels, the risk of drought in the Amazon will continue to increase. Climate change made historic Amazon rainforest drought 30 times more likely. All of that history and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The fact of the matter is, is that the United States exported more LNG than it has in the history of time in 2023. Great. So what are you bitching about, Mike Summers, CEO of the American Petroleum Institute? Isn't that enough? Never enough for you guys, isn't it? This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, the American Petroleum Institute is delighted that we hit all-time record exports of liquid natural gas, but they still seem to be sporting Donald Trump rather than Joe Biden. Seems like they should send him a thank you card. <laughs> Perhaps. But yes, that is our top story. The Biden administration Department of Energy has temporarily paused approvals for massive proposed export facilities for liquefied natural gas, called LNG for short. That so the agency can conduct a review of the economic, national security, environmental, and climate impacts of the new projects. The temporary pause does not affect already operating LNG facilities or projects currently under construction, which alone are set to double the nation's current export capacity over the next four years. We're already hitting records under Joe Biden because he's approved so many of these things. There's still five more in the works. And, well, big oil and gas and Donald Trump are complaining about it. The Biden administration doubled LNG export capacity just in the last two years since Russia invaded Ukraine and cut off exports to Europe. Bloomberg projects that the U.S. will remain the world's largest exporter of natural gas even if the plants are not built. New studies conclude that the proposed facilities several years away from becoming operational won't even be needed because the global transition to renewable energy is accelerating faster than expected, and building new additional LNG facilities would lock in fossil fuel dependence and push the world to overshoot Paris Climate Treaty targets. Ding, 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 of course. That's the point. But the pause is a victory for frontline communities, particularly on the Gulf Coast, that have been fighting these new LNG plants on pollution grounds. And for climate activists around the globe. Speaking of pollution, a new study of Alberta, Canada's massive tar sands oil fields confirms that tar sands, already one of the world's most polluting fuels, are also emitting far higher levels of air pollution than previously known. Well, we better have more of it then. Actual emissions from a range of pollutants from tar sands mining are 2,000 to 6,000 percent higher than the tar sands company's own self-reported totals, with serious health impacts for communities nearby and downwind. They don't call them dirty tar sands for nothing. In other news, the historic and devastating drought in the Amazon River Basin was driven by man-made climate change. The international team of scientists at World Weather Attribution found that climate change was the primary driver of the ongoing record Amazon Basin drought that has dried up vital tributaries and has triggered forest-destroying fires. They say it's new, stark evidence of the increasing risk of severe drought in a warming world, and they warn climate change will likely cause future extreme droughts in the same region. That will curtail the Amazon rainforest's ability to absorb a significant chunk of humanity's annual greenhouse gas emissions. But the Amazon rainforest can still be saved, says UC Santa Barbara climate policy expert Dr. Leah Stokes on CNN. We can stop burning fossil fuels. We can start using clean electric machines like electric vehicles, heat pumps. And countries all around the world are really starting to do that. So we have a choice. But if we continue along the fossil fuel path, 
This is the kind of devastating consequences that we're going to hear more and more about with every passing year. And finally, China in 2023 further cemented its dominant position in the global renewable energy landscape. China's deployment of solar energy projects in 2023 alone was bigger than the entire U.S. solar fleet. In fact, China installed a larger amount of new solar capacity last year than the total amount ever installed by any other nation. China's total solar capacity grew by 55% last year, and its battery storage sector nearly quadrupled. That's impossible. Republicans and Fox News have been telling me for years that China is doing nothing about climate change. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. So I just want to underscore that because it, it flies by quickly in those six minutes, Desi yes. Doyen. You reported that China last year alone installed more solar energy in one year than the U.S. has in its entire history. history. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's the same China that Fox News always tells us is never, ever going to do anything about climate change. <laughs> right. What they're actually doing is eating our lunch on renewable energy. And, on that, and that's uh, stuff that we invented, but China is making the profit from it. Well, it sounds like a delicious lunch. All right, that's it. We have got to get out. That does it for the broadcast. We hope you enjoyed it at least, uh, well, maybe even more than we enjoyed bringing it to you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, need to listen to it again, want to share it with a friend or family or your uh, enemies, you can do so anytime for free at bradblog.com, where we are celebrating our 20th anniversary this week. Thanks to those of you who hit one of them donate buttons or go straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves for another 20 years. I don't know. Just how about through the end of the year? We'll take it. <laughs> Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter. Sorry, Elon. Uh, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Who got the